0: And as you see there, yes, we're going to have Ed Dowd back to for an update on all that data he's been collecting to see if things are getting better or worse or what we're going to make sense of all this. Uh, speaking of making sense of things, uh, Clifton Duncan is one of our favorite guests. He, of course, is the host of the Clifton Duncan podcast. He's a classically trained actor who got his master's in fine arts from NYU, and he was a critically acclaimed award-winning Broadway and off-Broadway star until he dared to raise his hand and say, I'm not sure I really want this vaccine thing, at which point he was summarily dismissed by his peers and the, uh, of course, the bureaucratic structures that be. He, I saw him speaking once. I I forget where it was now, but I just thought, Oh, I got to talk to that guy. He's got something to say. We had a great meeting with him a few months ago and I have noticed he has been on fire on Twitter lately. And I said, I think we need to get Clifton back in here because something's going on there. I don't want to hear what he's thinking. So and uh, just stay with us here in just a moment i'll bring bring you clifton duncan our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre the psychopaths start this with he was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography ptsd love addiction fentanyl and heroin ridiculous <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake where the hell you think i learned that And as always, uh, watching the restream and the Rumble Rants, and we are out on Twitter spaces. I'm not sure if we're going to be taking any calls today or not, but apologies if we do not. Uh, just to remind you, our schedule is getting a little wonky in the next couple of weeks. We will be here on Monday with calls again, so we'll be able to ask your questions then. We had a nice time yesterday talking to you guys. And then Ed Dowd on Tuesday with Kelly Dun- Kelly uh, Kelly Victory for, a, for an update on his data to see uh, what is going on. I've noticed that Dr. Malhotra has recently been uh, posting some, I've actually retweeted some data out of UK that looks very, very, very disturbing. And uh, I posted some data yesterday where I said, we need to explain this. And of course, Twitter in their infinite wisdom interprets that as, oh, you don't know what's going on. Don't you know it's the jab? Okay, okay, first of all, (laughs) First of all, we need to establish the denominator. We need to establish that our models are actually accurate for anticipated deaths. Is that accurate or not? Or is this excess death that we see and we think we're seeing growing real or is it a f- uh, artifact of novel of our model? And if it's real, what the hell's going on? What is going on here and why is the government silent? Why are all the government agencies silent? And why is the press silent? Why is not the press raise their hand and go, huh? Some interesting data coming out of um, all of Western Europe and UK and the United States. And I'm wondering if that means anything. Let's just ask the question and see if somebody's willing to answer it and maybe interview a couple of people about it. No, they are weirdly silent on the whole issue. And that to me is profoundly disturbing. I, of course, tweeted that. And that doesn't get ratioed the way everything else does. Ratioed is always about what somebody said you said. It's not ever what you said. That's the extraordinary thing about Twitter. So let me bring in my friend Clifton Duncan. He's the host of the Clifton Duncan podcast, the latest episodes of the Wacky World of Woke Theater. I want to hear a little bit about that. And Married to the Truth in a World Divorced from Reality, both very pertinent topics. Please welcome Clifton Duncan.
1: There you so are. Like I, so to, using a, let's start with... using. A, using ratio now you you know the lingo now
0: (laughs) well you guys taught me before the mics heated up so now i appreciate it i i I thought i knew what it was and i just had checked in with you guys do i really understand what it is so yeah, yeah now i get it uh so talk let's let's start with the podcast uh what is the wacky world of woke theater and uh what about truth in a world where truth doesn't exist
1: well, uh, so yeah, the wacky world of woke theater, I had a wonderful, uh, lady named, uh, Mary McDonald Lewis. who A lot of people will recognize uh, as the voice of Lady J from GI Joe. People are really excited about that, but, uh, she lives in Portland, Oregon, which is one of the most wokest places on the face of the earth. And, um, uh, she talked about how she got canceled, um, for just not going along with the, um, with the regime. And, uh, she's a, a font of wisdom and inspiration. And she talked about, uh, in my show is mainly based around artists. Uh, and if I can be an ambassador for the arts uh, in, in any way, then I'm happy to do that. So that's sort of what that's about. Um, and then on my Rumble channel, so I'm building up my Rumble channel. I'm Verified on there, by the way, so check me out there. Um, that's uh, Wedded to the Truth uh, in a World you know Divorced from Reality. Um, I spoke to a, a wonderful couple named uh, Daniel Cutson and uh, Jennifer Say. Uh, Jennifer uh, made waves when she was canceled by Levi Strauss and Company. Um, for speaking out about school closures. Um, and she also, they tried to make her do some like kind of woke struggle sessions. And then uh, basically she got uh, booted out and called a racist, uh, which is, if anyone knows her personally, they know that that's, there's no way that's true at all. Um, her husband, Daniel, um, was a former uh, Democrat, a lawyer in San Francisco. He got banned from Twitter for, uh, for his spicy hot takes. Uh, very, very fiery guy. And um, just for nothing else, just watch that episode to see the interplay between the two of them because Daniel's like, yeah, fuck this. And Jennifer is like, well, <laughs> you know she's she's like more <laughs> so and funny, and she's like way more tactful, um but uh no, they're both extraordinary people. I mean, I always have the best people on my podcast, I mean, come on now, um but uh, yeah, yeah you know, I, 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 I'm main, sure so. it's
0: yeah, I'm sure it's catching wind because uh you 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 always have an interesting take, you're not if you're not you're not afraid to express yourself, which I, I really do appreciate. Uh, and by the way, I got your uh, little bio off the Mises Institute. Not everybody gets to speak, but that was, so again, every time, I, every place I find you, I'm thinking, oh my, what,
1: it's crazy. It's how he, how do you show up here? That's amazing. I don't know either, man, but it's, it's hilarious to me. I, I, I said this in the speech as, as well. There's no reason I ever should have been at the Mises Institute. You know what I mean? There's just no reason. <laughs> but, also, but it's also weird, you know, because people are in these sort of little boxes right now. So I have people now who are saying, I can't believe you got wrapped up with those Mises people, you know, these crazy... Ph-. I'm like, they're a bunch of economists, dude. Like, that's, that's it. They're a right. bunch of nerds about the economy. That's all, that, that's all it is. Right.
0: Yeah. They are, they are libertarians at heart and, and they have, and there's all kinds of subgroups within the libertarian groups, you know, the Mises right. hates the, uh, hates the, uh, what, what's the, what's, I always thought Mises and, uh, what's the other, uh, oh, shit, Keynes. the other economist, was it
1: Keynes. John Maynard Keynes,
0: not Keynes, but the Keynes foil, Keynes foil. Oh, uh, um, Oh, help me, Caleb. Just look up opposite of Keynes. But anyway, I always thought Mises and that guy were in the same camp until so I talked to some of the Mises guy, and they were deeply offended that I thought that. So these are all these these fragments, these factions within econ, e- economics that only people within these factions really care, you know, that the that that don't that their territory is maintained. In any event uh, that'll it'll occur to me somewhere along the way. The other thing that I, I noticed recently, as it pertains to cancellation. I I was really kind of disturbed to see something Elon Musk tweeted today about how activists had caused such a profound drop in their ad revenues by muscling the advertisers that, at least by his claim, that's what's leading to all the layoffs of all the Twitter employees. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, if if there's a direct line to the layoff, but what does concern me is something I have seen over and again is these small groups of so-called activists destroying things on behalf of other people, really being destructive. Why do, does any, I don't understand why, I don't understand why the the uh, board here, the county board in Los Angeles listens to these people. I don't understand why the state of California listens to these people. I don't understand why the advertisers on Twitter listen to these people. They are They are destructive awful people that seem to be interested in nothing except dismantling what is
1: well you know it's um there's a few things going on you use the word dismantle i mean they're very much into deconstructionism right now they want to they yeah. they believe yeah. that we exist in a in a massive sort of white european patriarchal cap- capitalist cis cisheteronormative society that must be uh taken down and destroyed of course what they want to replace uh, it, it with uh you know, it's it's a utopian vision, which, of course, is impossible. Um, it literally means yeah. no place. Um, my but my yeah. my issue is is less with the activists themselves, because I think they're actually very small in number and we all know that they're morons. But it's the people who are on the on the outskirts who are watching it and they're just kind of trying to go along to get along. And they don't say anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, for for the longest time where I was purged from the entertainment industry, um, I, I just, you know, for a while, it's just like, why would I allow myself to be bullied by people who are so obviously imbecilic, you know? And, and but I think what's what's more insidious about it, maybe what's most insidious, is that they play on, they take advantage of people's desire a to avoid conflict, but also their desire to um, to just be good people. It's sort it's sort of weaponized, and they're weaponizing empathy in a way. Uh we want to be nice people we want to be we want to be kind we want to be accepting we want to be tolerant, so to speak we want we want to be inclusive i think I think most of us want to be if if we're not more live and let live you know just kind of leave me alone, don't bother me just you know you might you might be kind of weird, but whatever um we also just we want to be considered kind and caring, and you don't want to be on the wrong side of an issue, so we're sort of dealing with these competing virtues right now i think uh, in society is uh you know, it's like, do we want to be nice people or do we want to stay rooted in uh, reality and things that are smart? <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, and it right
0: is now. possible. It is possible to do both. It is possible to be civic minded. It is possible to be community engaged and possible to be pragmatic and be roll up your sleeve and solve problems, by the way, without being uh, Toxically masculine or white supremacist—you you can do all those things you can, and not be those horrible things. It's possible, and yet uh, you're called names for doing any of them.
1: No, well, I don't even believe. Like I don't, my—I don't even say toxic masculinity anymore. I just say what we used to say, which is asshole. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's what we, you know, <laughs> like the people that uh, the people I, like I that. found that I like that. that, that, that and and by the way, there, there's there's something strange about it because people talk about toxic masculinity, but uh, they never seem to want to touch uh, touch on gang culture, for instance. They never want to talk about that. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like that could be yeah. a, a subject. Uh, you, you you never see these uh, Roy G biv-haired, uh, fat feminists going down into like the ghettos in Baltimore and Cincinnati and Chicago and and lecturing those people or South Central talking about toxic masculinity. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Um, <laughs> interesting. You know. Yeah, it is interesting. by the way, the economist I was trying to think of was
0: Hayek, Hayek. Oh, Hayek. I was at Hayek and Mises. Yeah, I always thought Hayek and Mises were serving the same camp until I talked to the Mises guys and they're like, Oh, fuck that. So anyway, so the the point is, it's, it's libertarianism. It's about, you know, letting, letting all boats rise, getting everybody, you know, nurtured into into engagement and doing better and and productivity and and, and creativity. And and I don't understand why that's not something that everyone would want to sign up for. Uh, well, I understand also, that it needs some regulation. Go ahead.
1: Well, people, well, people also um, they, they try to label them as extremists when they don't know anything. I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. one of their one of their foundational principles is a non-aggression principle. Like they they literally just like, you know, don't don't tread on me, and nothing's gonna happen. You know, don't f well. Oh, we can say fuck. That's right. We can uh, don't fuck around. Yeah. and You won't find out. Um, it's it's so it's so bizarre how people get sort of uh, miscast and mischaracterized, especially on Twitter. Are
0: Are you feeling any differently about your peers? Last time we talked, you were like, "Geez, I don't think I ever want to go back to the arts community that treated me so horribly."
1: Oh uh, no! Uh, look, right now, so I, I I've, I've made this joke lately uh, because you see all these articles, article after article, now about how shows are closing about how audiences are slow to come back. And this is a worldwide phenomenon, by the way. I just got off uh, of a call with a wonderful uh, uh, um, British lady uh, who's saying the same thing's happening over there. But what they'll say is, um, you know, audiences are slow to return uh, after the pandemic. And of course, they say it's because of the pandemic and not the ridiculous response to it. And uh, like I posted the other day on Twitter, um, somebody was complaining on social media um, about uh, a show at the Metropolitan Opera, which is, you know, one of the most prestigious institutions Um, in the U S for opera. And uh, they were like, like, Oh my God, this cast is amazing. The singing is wonderful, but like, why is nobody buying tickets to this? And, um, you know, it turns out that maybe if you, if you treat, if you treated COVID like the black death and you alienated, you know, swaths and swaths of a foreign and domestic audience, and you terrified your own patrons um, from going from being indoors um, they're not gonna come to see your shows. On top of that, you you helped crash the economy. So people can't even afford to go see these shows now. So what I say now is that I'm, you know, people might say, Oh, it's just sour grapes. Yes, I'm dining on a banquet, a full banquet of sour grapes, but I'm washing it down with some sweet, sweet Schadenfreude right now. And it tastes great. I'm watching everything just burn down, and they did it to themselves. They, they, they let the government uh, call them non-essential in a city where the arts are big business and you know it's part of the city's identity and um you know they said they were they were deemed less essential than McDonald's and liquor stores and uh, now they're finding out they're getting a very harsh lesson and just how non essential that the, the public thinks they are meanwhile i mean ufc still going strong people still going to football games and uh, basketball games so you know sorry uh, it's it, and it's not just but the, uh, the they also that-
0: they also chased out everybody that could uh, afford uh, Metropolitan Opera tickets. Uh, you know, they chased them out of the city, or told them they're bad, or they don't need them anymore, or taxed them so much, or whatever. They just got they got rid of their fan base. Who can pay three hundred dollars a you know a seat? It's like that's it's. Why are we surprised? And by the way, what 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 you're accu- you're accustomed from the arts, as you said, the woke theater. You're accustomed to going in there and being preached at, and people are just re- and same thing with movies, same thing. All these things are sort of like. Ugh, i I just want something good i want to escape i want some i want to uh sort of have an experience of awe at the the, at the rapture of the music i don't want to be i don't want i don't want a a sociology lesson
1: and this is how disconnected these people are as well you know it's it's after two years right of being beaten down of being of being horrified filled with angst full filled with terror people you know people lost people obviously that the tragedy of that um, why would you return? Nobody wants to see, sorry, you know, a gender and race swapped gender queer revival of 1776. Like even the, even the critics dumped on that show. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to talk about the programming right now. Uh, that that's really problematic and bad. And from what I hear with the, you know, with the, the COVID protocols are still pretty strong there. They've just extended them. Um, you know they can't even keep enough uh, swings and understudies and shows right now uh, people are always calling out shows are closing uh, prematurely i mean it's just it's ridiculous and but they did it like i said they did it to themselves so um i i can't i can't really feel bad about it i can only sit uh, here from the outskirts and uh, do my little podcast and and bullshit on twitter and laugh about it
0: it is interesting that it, it's to the point of them doing it to themselves they're still in a bit of a panic not a bit a total panic about covid where if one person shows up with a cough or a sniffle, the whole show shuts down because somebody else is uncomfortable. And and I I was I forget who I was talking to. Somebody was in a, a play. That, oh, I know what it was. It was a patient of mine, and uh, it was a community theater production, but sort of a high end community production. And uh, a couple of people got COVID, and the 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 conceit was we care about our audience too much to keep going because we somebody could expose somebody to something. It's like. No, every, test everybody they're all negative on with the show on with the show let's go uh but no 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 somebody's uncomfortable in the cast that we might hurt the audience
1: well you know or instead of testing everyone just have faith just that your audience doesn't, just doesn't on with the show to, yeah. well you know well look well, well our union right the actors equity my former union the actors equity association they sent out an email back in 2020 and they said explicitly the, the adage that the show must go on is is not only unsafe, but also racist. And I'm thinking to myself, hold on, we used to pride ourselves as performers, especially performers in New York City, on being tough, on persevering. You know, whatever's happening, you show up, you have an obligation, you have a duty to this paying audience to put on the best show of your life because they've never seen it before. But now, we, mm-hmm. you know, it's we're so we're so. Fraught with safetyism and uh, and this idea that we have to protect everybody and, and sanitize for everyone's protection. It's like no, you know, why don't we let people make their own decisions and um, and yeah. uh, take their own take their own risks and get on with get on with our lives. And, Life and, has to go on.
0: By do. the way, by the way, I've taken care of a lot of Omicron lately, and I've noticed that typically people aren't even converting. In other words, they're not really producing significant amount of a virus until like day three of symptoms. So they know they're sick by the time they're infectious. This idea of asymptomatic spread, zero, uh-uh. I'm telling you right. that is not a thing. Uh, and even symptomatic spread, it takes a few days before you're you're likely to infect somebody else. And even then it's a it seems to be I'm not going to go on the record with this one, but my experience has been it's a kind of a narrow window of infectivity. but again, that may be my experience, but definitely a pattern that it takes a couple of days before people start producing enough virus to be infectious. So Emily Oster wrote an article in The Atlantic about, uh, just, just, uh, this is what, this is what got my attention Clifton was tweeting quite a bit about this that we just can't, we'd all just get along. Let's just leave this thing behind us. The mistakes were made and let's, uh, let's give a nod to Emily because she was actually somebody that helped get the schools open, right? She was on the right side of that. Uh, before that, she was in the panic zone in the mass formation. But she, you know, guess what? Changed her mind. Good. I'm all. I'm anybody changes their mind, you're welcome here. You are welcome. Uh, and so there it is. Let's declare a pandemic amnesty. To which uh, I, not realizing that Clifton had also tweeted this particular cartoon, put this cartoon up uh, in response. Let's read the. Can you read the caption there, Susan? Are you able to read it for us? Read the. Oops. It, it shows it shows somebody being burned the it at the stake. Weren't witches, after all. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. It shows two pilgrims, you know, two uh, settlers from uh, the 16th century, burning somebody at the stake, and they're saying to each other, "Susan, mistakes were made on both sides." No, no, no. The first part. Oops! Turns out they weren't witches after all. Oops! As she's burning up, and the person's burning to death, and then I they think Clifton sc- should have read it because I'm not that good. Then they call out, "What, <laughs> Susan?" <laughs> mistakes were. Made on both sides. That's right. Sorry you burned to death, but mistakes were made on both sides. And people like Clifton, who oh. was who was someone burned at the stake, I myself was too And I think about it. There were a lot of people <laughs> burned at the stake that that are like, no, 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 no. I, it's going to take a little more than just flat out amnesty, at least acknowledging where you were wrong, apologizing and amends. By the way, amends is cleaning up your mess and then talking about what we do to make sure this never happens again.
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I kind of felt bad for, or uh, for, for Miss Oster, maybe Doctor Oster, I don't know, um, because she just she um, the piece just unleashed so much rage. I believe I believe when I tweeted about it, I, I believe my quote was, "You can fuck right off with this shit." Um, <laughs> as <I> would <was> <laughs> I think I saw
0: that. Um, <laughs> I think, I think yeah. the cartoon was just a kinder, gentler version of that.
1: <laughs> but, you know, well, because it, it, for, for me, it, you know, it's not that uh, any sort of forgiveness is bad. So you know, per se, it's just that it, it to me it was so tone deaf and disconnected. From all the damage that's been done, I mean, there is not one right. element of society I can think of right now, either on a political level, an economic level, an interpersonal level, that hasn't been affected by the hysteria, the complete mismanagement, uh, the some might say fraud and corruption that's been that's been going that's happened over the past couple of years. I mean, they've they've destroyed just about just about everything, or brought it to the or brought it to the brink of destruction. And so it's not I'm yeah. not going to sit back and be like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. You know what? Come here, man. Give me a hug. I'm not going to do that. You know, I lost so much by saying by saying what I've said, by taking my position, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and sure. People will say you made your, you made your choices. That's fine. Um, as you can see, I mean, I'm pretty nonplussed about it. I'm, I'm laughing right now, um, for various reasons, but, but so many people, I mean, I mean, I know people who's, I mean, one, one woman, I know her stepson died within 12 hours of taking the J and J shot, which is safe and effective by the way. Um, <laughs> but 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 he wouldn't have taken Don't it worry, if we'll close that he, okay but if he wouldn't have taken it if uh if he weren't coerced into doing so in order to maintain his job and that's the point about all of this is that there's so much damage has been that people have been divorced um you know I, I, there was some study I read the other day that I, I saw the other day that uh you know uh in 2020 uh instances of like childhood head trauma um had increased massively so there's all these kinds of effects that have happened not not to mention overdoses, uh, suicides, you know, mm-hmm. all kinds of things that they did. And for what benefit? That's the main question, because then these same people will turn right around and say, well, a million plus Americans died. Really? So we did all this stuff and yet these people still died. Are you, I mean, it, so what, what's been the benefit of all of this? And it, so once you see right. all of that and you're one of those people who's been affected by it, it's hard to just walk away and say, you know what, that's cool, man. We all good.
0: Yeah, you know, Cliff, I think it is important to kind of walk through that data a little bit because we, we rarely, and I really try to understand it from the standpoint of people who defend what was done, but but the fact is, it's a fact that the virus may have slowed what it did, but it did what it did and was going to do it no matter what we did. That the nice. zero COVID policy was, was an insane idea that they adopted from the Chinese Communist Party who continues this insanity. It could never work with a respiratory virus. It didn't work. It killed as many people it was was gonna kill anyway. And in the process of the hysteria around the um, categorical um, actualization of that plan, they harmed God knows how many people, and they're not even taking an accounting of that not to mention what they did to the a generation of school children, not to mention what they burdened the marginalized and often black and brown kids are going to get disproportionately, the ones they were so, so interested in creating the equity for, the ones they harmed the most, Right. How about you? You know, don't really look at this. So you don't let it happen again. What? Think about what we'll do differently next time. There's a lot we have to do, though. I'm afraid, though, in terms of curtailing the totalitarian power of our public health system. That that's an unfortunate thing that has been shown to be a, the case, and that the people who are making those totalitarian decisions often are woefully undertrained to make these decisions and themselves were in an absolute panic, had a set of priorities that were just wrong and could not make a risk-reward analysis uh, to sort of temper some some of their approaches. Then on top of that, anyone who dared to question, raise their hand, think asked to think about alternative uh, interventions or what we're doing where people. and often the very best and brightest people, people with protract prolonged academic careers, extraordinary pedigrees, had to be crushed as as marginal and quacks. And those are turning out to be the people that were speaking not a categorical truth but but a, a tempered approach that would have saved God knows how many lives as the excess deaths accelerate on a daily basis in Western world. I'll let you sort of react to that
1: yeah sure well it was it was fabulous it was wonderful. Um, you know you mentioned the T word totalitarianism. Um, th- that's been a big part of this. I mean, one of the, the offensive things about, uh, about Emily's article, she mentioned, you know, it's about, you know, when we were in the dark about COVID, well, you put yourselves there because like, as you just said, we had people from the beginning who were saying, don't close the schools for a protracted period of time. This is going to happen to you. or this is what's going to happen to society and, and to these kids and who it's going to affect mm-hmm. the most. Don't, uh, don't shut down. Uh, uh, don't shut down the economy. Don't shut down all these businesses because this is what's going to happen, not just on a local level, but on a global scale, the, the, I mean, the UNICEF put out, uh, you know, an an article, I think it was in 2020 that were like, dude, millions of children are going to starve as a result of supply chain disruptions and, 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 and economic, uh, 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 disruptions as a result of these policies. And so, but they completely ignored any of these warnings. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a dumb fucking actor, right? I, I, why, why is it that I'm somebody who's able to say, well, you know, to to uh, have some kind of a concept about a, a risk benefit analysis? Why? Why is it somebody like me uh, who's out there saying and part of my part of my um, rejection at the beginning of all this was like, you know, I'm somebody who, you know, my bleeding heart, my sensitive soul. I'm saying everything we're being asked to do uh, to mitigate the spread of this virus uh, is antithetical to living a rich, fulfilling life, which is going to be a part of keeping you healthy. Um, you know, these people just, they seem to be so disconnected who are making these decisions. Not only are they, they seem unqualified to, you know, to make these medical choices and government choices or policy choices, but also just life choices. And, um, I just, I, I, so, so for Emily and I, I don't want to come down on her specifically, but I mean, she wrote, she wrote the shit. So there you go. But, uh, to say that, <laughs> you know, we were in the dark about this, um, I'm like, no, well, you blinded yourselves. You, you had blinders on. That's why you thought you were in the dark. But there were people who were screaming, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you said that they were a bunch of fringe conspiracy theorists or as uh, Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci said, uh, uh, Anthony Fauci is a fucking cunt, by the way. Um, <laughs> 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 it's an inside
0: uh, joke. YouTube, guys. not inside the opinion. We, uh, <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, it's a joke. It's, it's a joke, fine. YouTube
1: he's very nice and agreeable we we all like we all like anthony fauci he's fine uh, but no but they, but they they just didn't listen to people and they, and they dismissed them completely people with you know nobel laureates ivy league scientists and and you know who were saying don't yeah. do this and they just completely refused to do it so again i'm not going to say it's all cool brah and you and give you some amnesty or whatever when you are the people who've been acting you know poorly sorry about that i just i can't do it
0: yeah and you last time we spoke, you said something that has stayed with me to this day is and it's you you paraphrased it a little bit in the, what you just said, which they took away from us this is your quote because I will never forget it. They took away from us everything that made life meaningful. That was your quote and, and I thought, wow, he is so exactly correct. That is exactly what it felt like, like life, the me and and by the way, since you said that to me. I've noticed there's generations of young people who are having real difficulty finding meaning again. Like there's a lot of nihilism and what's the purpose? And as you said, the arts aren't thriving. The things that would normally give us the richness and create the meaning, just it's hard to know what to care about.
1: And for me, it's, it's inexcusable, especially for artists. Um, I I've made this point uh, recently is that, you know, especially as actors, right, we're supposed to be in our loftiest ambitions, right? These, these conduits and vessels of the human experience. We're supposed to be more human than human. If anyone understands what life is and what humans, what, what being a human is, it should be somebody like us. And for all these people uh, who call themselves artists, to just kind of sit back and go along with everything. Um that's that's been one of the most eye-opening things for me. We've totally failed. We have failed our public. We have failed our society. Um, you know, in, in many ways, I think you know, and this this is not terminology I would have used uh, you know before all this started, but you know, the the soul of our society, the soul of our culture, the spirit of our culture. Mm-hmm. we we give them soul food, and we've completely just we just said, nah, you know, pay me, pay me not to work. Meanwhile, you have restaurant owners, barbers, uh, gym owners fighting tooth and nail against their own government just, just to stay open. I, you know, I came down yep. to Atlanta. You know, people are working, you know, w- which didn't really close down that much. Um, people just working 12, 14, 16 hour shifts, you know, trying to trying to make something out of their lives. But these pampered, pretentious, quote unquote, progressives living off of Broadway you know, royalties from Broadway cast recordings. They, you know, a lot of people are still work. We're still working on TV doing commercials or whatever, you know, collecting residuals, all that stuff, so they' they're sitting pretty. they're still doing their stuff, but everybody else has to, you know has to shut down uh, you know their their own businesses or they're killing people it's just it's I, I'm so disappointed in these people
0: is this is, this is your tweet Everything we're being asked to do in order to mitigate the spread of this virus goes against everything that makes life worth living yeah that's it yeah. there that's it what is he said on the episode on uh, August 23rd yeah. I'm I'm impressed that you got that up. That's fantastic. I, I, it was a it was a profound statement, and, and you know let me let me before I take a little break here I want to do a couple things. I want I want to go back around on Dr. Fauci and explain my <laughs> situation with him. You know he he has been a guiding light for me most of my career. He's somebody I've looked up to my entire career, and now when I look back on some of the things that some of his excesses back during the AIDS epidemic and things, I, I the seeds of this moment were clearly sown he He uh, asked us to use fear to uh, he kept saying there's going to be two million AIDS deaths, two million AIDS deaths You have to go out and scare yeah. people and tell them. And so fear and 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 models that predict excess death were his sort of that's his bread and butter. And uh, he was not kind to dissenters back then either. It was not as obvious as this one, but uh, I think they now when I see his biases now and and I, Again, I have a hard time. I choke on not admiring him. It's hard for me because you spend a career, look, you know, following somebody, listening to somebody, admiring them, and then they do stuff that you think, what are you, what are you doing? The other thing that troubles me is some of these people, someone said that Ezra Klein has been saying this lately, believe that it was executed properly. That they think everything was here done the way it should have been done. Yeah, and and I can't... I always try to understand the other side of the table when people have opinions that are different from mine, but I, I can't get it. I can't understand it. Now, here it is. If you talk to someone like Ezra Klein, the editor of the New York Times, he would say, basically, they made no mistake. Same with Fauci from Chuck E. Cheese. Well, uh, did, and, I, how, and to me, that's, I break- think he's right. I, I, I do, so but if you want to react it? to that, go ahead. Okay. I do, but well, go because,
1: ahead. Uh, you know, well, there there is a... I have no idea. Well, I have some opinions about it, but but why all of these, quote unquote, elites or the intelligentsia, whatever you want to call them, think that it's a great idea that we should copy the approach to the pandemic that, that was taken by a totalitarian regime across the world, which yeah. has no yeah. regard for human it's rights. Weird. What? Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's weird. And, and, and. In doing so, I, I understand that they got hoodwinked and they were lied to and by their Chinese counterparts and things and and then they got in a panic and they were doing the best they could. Okay, I I can be a I can have a charitable interpretation of what happened, but you harmed people. To say you didn't harm people in the process, that is disgusting. That is disgusting to the people that were harmed. So let's take a little break and then I'm gonna let Duncan pick up right there. Consumer price index yet again going up. Stock market in turmoil. What's our government doing to quell the surge of inflation that is gutting American families? Oh, yeah, they're spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. It's time to do something about this. Visit birchgold.com. Now, I don't give investment advice, but you can visit BirchGold.birchgold.com/drew. Birchgold Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Great people with almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401Ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let your savings lose value. Visit birchgold.com and claim your free, no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account And Birch Gold will help you do it. Birch Gold has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit Birchgold.com/slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. For a long time, I've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, Genusel, and the amazing results that both Susan and I have seen. I'm a big fan of Genusel's Silky Smooth XV. It's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves GenuCell's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to GenuCell's proprietary skincare technology. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to GenuCell, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. and receive an extra 10% off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout. That again is genucel.com slash Drew, dot com slash D-R-E-W. We are back with Clifton Duncan. I want to give him a chance to pick up where I left off. Clifton, I don't know if you had something to say after my little diatribe there, but go ahead.
1: Oh well, you know, I just uh, finished talking to. Uh, there's a very interesting guy. I don't know if you've heard of him, named Michael Sanger, who was who was banned from Twitter, actually. But uh, he wrote a book, um, uh, basically about Xi Jinping uh, and the Chinese Communist Party and um, how they how they're the drivers of a lot of this stuff. And um, and you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but um, you know, I think it's a worthy read. It's a very shocking read. But um, these i this idea that you see all these sort of um, and i'm going to say that i hate to be this partisan about it but all these like left wing intellectuals so to speak like like an Ezra klein um just signing off on this and saying that we should do what china did and not, uh, or or be you know or, or that we did it correctly and um you know it just flies in the face of all reality and i just i don't understand there it is um i just i, I don't get uh, well i mean some people might say it's it's you know there's some money here at play maybe there's like an ideological perspective that that they um uh, you know, that, that there, there's like some tentacles there and and their sort of media apparatus. But um, it's just strange because then, like you said, uh, you said earlier, Drew, that, you know, if remember early on when they were like, you know, China has eliminated the virus. Well, if, if that were the case, then why are they still locking people down? They, they clearly didn't yeah. do it. So, you know, why, why right. would we emulate what they did, which didn't work? Obviously, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. They're not they're not there. There's no right. logic here.
0: I think, I think, again, I, I always try to take the other position, right? So I think somebody that was defending what China did would say, well, because of their extreme reactions, they may, may have mitigated deaths from alpha and delta. Like perhaps they really were able to kind of dampen those first waves. With what they did, I don't know that that's true because we can't rely on any of the data that came out of there. Let's remind ourselves they had they had enough of a surge that they had to build new hospitals overnight to, to deal with it, and we certainly saw lots of images of young people dying, whether that was real or not, who the hell knows? But but there was you know they got a they got hit pretty good, and I don't know that lockdown did anything other than the usual ebb and flow of a, of a pandemic. It comes and it goes. The same thing happened in New York City. It came came hard and then it goes down. But locking down, it's not clear that does anything. We, it's never been used before. It's ne- there's no evidence for it. I mean, what's the evidence? Did somebody do a study of, of lockdown versus focused uh, quarantine? No, it's never been done. The lockdown was made up out of whole cloth, by the Chinese Communist Party, the idea of six feet was made up out of whole cloth by the National Institute of Health and the FDA. They, they were trying to decide between between three feet and sixty feet. And they finally decided, oh, six feet sounds right. They just people will comply with that. And it'll help. Uh, then masking, they, you know, there was excitement about the Danish study on masking. Finally, we're going to find out what masking does. Turned out to be completely negative. No one would publish it. New England Journal had it on the slate to publish, sent it away. JAMA won't publish it. Finally published in an Annals, it was a negative study. Bangladesh, negative study, showed no effect. Now, you can wear your N95 mask. It probably does help individuals from getting it when you're immediately exposed to somebody, but you don't save anybody else. This hysteria around you're going to kill grandma and... If you don't, and I'm going to get real with you about the grandma thing too in a second, but you're going to kill grandma if you don't wear your mask, if you don't uh, uh, isolate, and if you don't take your vaccine, and if, you know all these things that you could not question, you you were picking up a gun and shooting old people.
1: Well, you know, there's a you know going back to what uh, Sanger was talking about. Uh, he covered this concept called uh, Fang Kong, um, F A N G uh, K O N G. And um, it's this marriage uh, of um, public health and crime, this idea that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you could reeducate somebody like, you know, someone has a sort of mind virus and um, that's sort of what I saw with the whole, you know, you're going to kill grandma thing, which is if you have this ideology, which says that, you know, we need to to take a a better risk benefit analysis. We need to do more focused protection, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, I don't think there's any, there's much benefit to wearing, um, these specific kinds of masks, whatever. It's sort of like a mind virus. And that mind virus, um, makes you culpable in the murder of other people. They're, they're casting people as criminals. It's very, it's such a dangerous, divisive thing to do. And, um, yes, the fact that, it, but it was also, it was so, so utterly effective. This sort of psychological, um, dis, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like destruction pro- programming. Some people might say psychological operation. It's such a, That's a loaded term, but um, the, the, the propaganda on that has just been um, in, insane. So, again, it's hard. Even, so, even if we were to say, you know, let's forgive, forgive and forget, uh, give some amnesty, um, it just seems like, you know, the psychological damage has been done. I don't know how you reverse that Uh, because, I mean, there's no amount of data you could show these people. There's no amount of uh, logic or common sense that you can say to these that you can give these people. I mean, we're almost three years in that people are still putting their their kids in masks. I'm here in Atlanta. Right. And Atlanta, they had a really sort of lackadaisical response. You know, there were some you can go to to one block and like, you know, and masks weren't required. But like, you know, the block next to that, you know, you have to wear your masks. And I mean, there was just there's no kind of rhyme or reason to it. Uh, and I think largely here that the pandemic is pretty much over for people, but there's still people down here who are putting their kids in masks and who are walking around, you know, driving by themselves with masks on. I saw somebody the other day with like a, a you know, a big fat individual uh, with a, a big heavy beard with two masks on. What are you doing? You're not <laughs> doing anything. It's, you know, and then that for me, that's, that's really unforgivable. The sort of um, the, the psychological damage they've done, the psychological toll they've taken on people. Um, with this endless stream of propaganda and the fact that someone like an Ezra Klein could just say like, oh, you know, we did it all right. Yeah, I don't think so, buddy. Sorry. I think you're wrong about that. Yeah.
0: And it's become sort of a religious. There's a definite religious quality to all of it with uh, sinners and dirty people and right. outliers and and there's a canon and then there's there's blasphemy and then there is rituals and if you do the rituals no matter how ridiculous they are the more you signal your unity with the religion and it also because it's so non-rational it begs no discussion that's what's sort of scary and and frustrating about it
1: yeah you know well it goes back to the um I Mac, mean, I just think about totalitarianism, you know, this idea that you can't, mm. you can't discuss and debate publicly. There's only one way to do things. And if you don't say this, then, you know, you don't have a job. You don't get to travel. Um, you're not even allowed in these, in these uh, public spaces. It's very, very uh, strange. But, I mean, you call it a religion. Um, I think a religion still has an, an air of respectability. So I call them a cult. You're much more kind than I am.
0: Okay. Cult is good. Cult is good. There are <laughs> sociologists that believe that m- most religions start as cults, so there's a relationship there, maybe uh. historically. Well, what what do you what do you think happened to us? What 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 is the mass formation? What what do you have a theory? You've been thinking about this a while. You've been you know sort of doing podcasting, talking about it. Do you, do you have a theory about? What what happened to us? And by the way, it happened to the whole world, which I find I, it's easy for me to look at the American psyche and go, Oh, yeah, we were, you know, we're, <laughs> we got we got some stuff going on. And we've had a lot of trauma. And we've had a lot of you know, what a lot of reasons I could make it up. I could I could sort of make up a story that would explain the American response, but whole world did it. It's Incredible. What happened? You know,
1: I, I think, and again, as someone who um, it's quite staunchly atheistic, right? Um, you hear conservatives talk all the time about the uh, the God-shaped hole in society. Now, I'm not saying that religion or God or anything like that is is the answer, but there is clearly a... Uh, one of the things that really struck me at the beginning of all of this was that how many people were so willing to just sort of abandon any sort of connection and, and human connection, interaction, and, and warmth, and just kind of stay inside forever. And to me, I'm like, God, what kind of loser are you that you have nothing going on in your life? And I think that's kind of part of it. Um, There is a, I mean, there's a huge lack of meaning that people don't, don't have in their lives. There's nothing, there's nothing there. At, at their core, I think that's that's part of it. Um, I also I agree. Think- and, and
0: the the guys that that uh, Desmond, uh, Doctor Desmond, I'm blanking his last name now too, Matthias um,
1: Desmond,
0: who Matthias yeah. Des Matthias Desmond, right? Who had sort of been thinking about this for years, well before the pandemic. He had a he was trying to understand how. You know things like nazism and these things you know and, and bolshevism and all this stuff sweeps and one of the things he had on his list was meaning lack of meaning meaning making reduced meaning making and i would argue that's exacerbated now that's not better that's worse right now
1: well i also think that on top of that right so it makes me think about um, when i was in conservatory there was a my, my voice and speech uh, teacher at one point um she talked about how we're more married now to technology and so right. this idea, you know, th- there was a time, right, where like if, you, if you're like living in Anton Chekhov's time and yet you're writing a love letter or something, you had to wait a week or two to get the response, you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a sort of mm. uh, psychophysical connection with the pen and the paper and you're translating your thoughts and, you know, and getting that yeah. back to you and, you know, you're more connected and rooted to nature and reality. But now, you know, we have all this artificialness around us, all this artifice, all this technology. That we're that we're more uh, that we're increasingly reliant upon, and that is also disconnecting us. It, we, we feel like we're more connected globally with everyone else, and uh, and information travels so quickly now. But you know, we're still stuck in this. We're we're stuck to this. You know what I mean? We're we're, we're words and phones as opposed to being flesh mm-hmm. and blood human beings. So we so we're more disconnected. Yeah. And on top of all of that, what we're consuming. Um, the 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 media apparatus. I mean, one of the smartest things I did was just like I got rid of my TV like in two thousand and nine. So I don't really watch TV. Um, I stopped kind of watching it. Like I like I like to read news aggregators, but you know, just but consuming the news. I mean, you just it's it, it, it's driving people insane, and um, I think that's part of it too. And and we live in an era now where again information travels so quickly and 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 so fast that. Uh, and you have what I call the reality cartel. You know the Googles, the Facebooks, Silicon Valley, all those people um, who are curating these messages um, and working in concert with these media organizations, which are really profit-driven corporations and trying to get clicks and ratings. And what sex sells? It's like sex, violence, sensationalism, doom, crises. Those are the things that that attract us. So you know, so we're married to that, and and we're we're constantly bombarded with all these messages that are. Uh, that are just—they're driving us insane. I have this concept called the anti-matrix, where um, everyone is like everyone who's outside the matrix. Like in, in the film, if you're in the matrix, you know you can eat your you can eat your steak and have your red wine or whatever. And everything's cool. You don't understand the reality of your of of your horrid existence. But now in the anti-matrix, people on the outside are saying like you know things are kind of they could be better, but it's kind of okay but people inside the matrix are like just going fucking crazy and um, they just seem to get worse and worse and worse. And so I don't know how you, um, how you pull us out of that ditch, you know? Uh,
0: Do you have any ideas? I I think about it all the time. and, And I, I kind of feel like we're somehow organically moving in a positive direction. At least I feel I've noticed you can speak about reality and have conversations about reality without being crushed, <laughs> like it's possible to have an opinion it's possible to describe reality and not have these horrible reactions
1: um I think maybe on a political level we're about to see a huge backlash uh, against a lot of this stuff. Um, but I'm not sure because the, from a technological standpoint, everything now i mean it's, it's just so convenient, so why would we give up? these yeah. machines now just right. so sort of integrated. Into
0: no, our we're lives. too. Yeah, we're too. We're too addicted. Yeah. No, I don't you know, know that we're I, gonna. I. I. But. It, but. It's. But. It's. We can, on one hand, say the the machines had something to do with this, that being in the matrix is is not a healthy place, and not. Require that everybody put down their phone necessarily to find their way out, right? I think I think we I think people are not going to put their phones down, so we have to find other ways to get people out of it. I mean, maybe Elon will figure it out. I I don't know, but I want to I want to bring up a different topic really quick, which is um you mentioned safetyism, safety Uberalis, I call that the safetyism mm-hmm. was was bizarre. I I think we have spent so many so many generations now disconnected from our biological reality not seeing disease, not seeing death, it's all hidden away in hospitals and only physicians get to see it. Uh that that when biology, biology scares us and then we we make stupid judgments around it and say things like one death is too many and blah, blah, blah. We can't make decisions any longer when we're confronted with our biological reality. One of the things that right now bothers me is what, the, what people don't understand, I have some looked up a bunch of data and it turns out, and this didn't surprise me, that the average life expectancy for a male admitted to a nursing home, which is, again, we're predominantly where the, the excess mortality was, was in nursing home patients. If you are so far gone, we're talking about chronic nursing home placement, as a male, that you need somebody, institutional support to feed you help you turn, wash your ass after you shit, whatever it is, you need more than one person to help you do that around the clock. And you're admitted to a nursing home to get that care. Your life expectancy is on average six months, six months. So the the women are a couple of years, but the men are six months. So let's just for the sake of argument, say, let's say it's two years for everybody just on average. So what people that died in nursing homes were taken two years of life was taken from them. In terms of years of life lost, what's happening now in terms of young people dying, I don't know if it's fentanyl, I don't know if it's suicide, I don't know if it's a vaccine, I don't know if it's the, some effect of lockdown. For every one 30-year-old life lost, you have to lose essentially 40 Of these nursing home patients in terms of years of life lost right a a 30 year old has 60 years of life ahead not six months not two years 60 years are taken away so when young people start dying which seems to be what's happening right now with the excess deaths we're seeing that is a profoundly different problem And I don't see anybody talking about it. I don't hear governments asking questions. I don't see the press demanding any action. And yet the number of excess deaths are approaching the excess deaths during the pandemic. And it's not exclusively old people or people with illnesses, though though that's happening also. But it is certainly a larger share of young, healthy people leaving us.
1: Well, who cares? As Rick said, it's fine. So what does it matter? Um, exactly. yeah, you know, and I mean, Emily Oster said, following. get over it.
0: Emily Oster said, get over it. It's fine, get over it. Just,
1: Yeah. Just, just fine. amnesty. But, you know, I think it's, it's so, it's so devastating when I think about, um, I mean, I was thinking about children specifically. Um, I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't know about anybody else, but, uh, I was a kid once and I remember what that was like. And I also am old enough to remember what it was like being in, you know, late in my late teens, early twenties. Um, you know trying to make my way in the world you know throughout my twenties and my thirties and um the i think part of I wonder if part of it is that um when you see so many institutions on just a, on such a mass scale uh fail at the same time, i mean how demoralizing is that. Um, I know for myself, once the uh, the lockdown started, I mean, I I didn't leave uh, my apartment except to get like, groceries. Like, I didn't even bathe for like a month. I'm like, I'm not even joking. Um, I can't imagine the sort of grief that people have been experiencing, the sort of demoralization they've been experiencing. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, a lot of people have been talking about these excess deaths. And, uh, you know, when you think about the infection fatality rate of, of the virus versus the people who are dead, it's just... You know, it's, it's what's going on. And a lot of people will say, like, it's these certain interventions, which we are totally safe and effective, by the way. I just want to put that out there. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, the, the, it, there, the, 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 I think the lack of interest is what um, disturbs me the most about it.
0: Yes. Um, that's what I'm saying. People. That That's what, that's a, right. well, that's a well, scandal. People, that's a scandal that we're not, well, somebody doesn't go, Hey, Hey, ha, ha. Hey, I, I, we're seeing some data here. Let, let's take a look at it. Let's take a look at this. What's going on. Well, just tell us to help well, us what's the, going on.
1: That that's scandalous. The, that nobody's people. saying that. Well, the same people who are saying, you know, who are saying if it saves one life, uh, seem completely disinterested in finding out what's taking yeah. these people's lives. And it does go. And, yeah. and for me, I'm going to get into the issue of, of, of vaccine injuries. I mean, you know, it's, I, I understand that we don't want to create, uh, you know, hesitancy or whatever, but at the same time, I mean, I, like I said before, I know people personally who, I mean, their children have died as a, you know, within hours of taking these things. I keep, you know, for, and Let, for a let's while. Let's say, let's say before, that.
0: And Clifford, let's say those are direct vaccine injuries. Those are life. I, I, I'm sure it happens. It does happen. I mean, we know it happens. But let's get the data yeah. and see how bad that really is relative to lives saved from the vaccine. There, there are de- Look, I am, I wouldn't say I started as a vaccine enthusiast because it, it was working. It was preventing severe, severe illness. We have all this T cell response left behind. We know that it's helping us. It probably dampened the pandemic. It was a good, th- I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying it's a good thing. But we're getting a signal. A signal is telling us that huh for young people where the illness is really mild and not going to kill them particularly under 45 we don't even have to worry about it maybe we shouldn't be making young healthy people sick at at the rate that it seems to be happening, and what is that rate relative to what are we saving? We don't. Those questions are not being asked. It's just take it, take it. Simplify the messaging. the The director of the CDC had the temerity to say, "Yes, I know Dr. Paul often thinks that 30 year old males shouldn't take this vaccine, but we're just simplifying our messaging. Everybody above 12, take it." That was the most insane Drew, moment we, of the pandemic for me.
1: But but Drew, here's the thing, right? So your your need, your impulse to to walk back and say, you know, well, let's let's put all these uh, these qualifiers around it to, to sort of protect, I mean, I know you gotta protect your show and you have to, you know, it goes back to this idea of this religiosity about it. You know what I mean? For for, for me, and we discussed this before we came on, when it, when it comes to the subject of vaccines, I think most people, you know, have they're either they have benign opinions or they just are like, yeah, you know, they seem really great, but why can't we as a culture even just ask questions about this. I'm not. I, I'm yeah. not coming. I'm not drawing any any specific conclusions. I'm just saying yeah, what neither. you're saying. But but it's yeah. such a it's such a, a a social third rail. Why is that? And especially when you're talking about a drug which is brand new and which is being mandated by by various uh, institutions, we need to be able to talk about these things and be transparent about it. And transparency it might it might create hesitancy in the short term, but it's better for everyone in the long term. And why can't we why can't we understand that more? I don't understand what we're just say. And not only that, I,
0: I have no I have no trouble walking, you know, a, a a nuanced line. I I I vaccinate my elderly patients. I I don't see any real long-term risk to them, and I'm seeing lots of benefit. Um, just today a patient asked me, and you know, she'd had two boosters, she had then she had Omicron. Three weeks after her last booster, shocking! It was bad. Then she had Paxlovid, and then had re- Paxlovid rebound, uh, and is now two months out, three months out from all that. And there she's being pressured to take the vaccine. I said, no, no, at least wait six months from your illness. You've got great immunity there. And uh, sorry about the rebound from the Paxlovid, by the way. But you, you've got the you've got the immunity, and then we'll see. And by the way, in three months from now, we'll have some more experience. With this vaccine in your age group specifically, and we'll know a little more what we're doing. And you know, you've got great immunity for six months from Omicron. It's an excellent. Uh, you know, you get really get good. I know personally, I had great uh, natural immunity. I was stuck in the room with my sick family on two different occasions after my Omicron and didn't catch it from either experience. Three, you know, three days in a room with somebody with active Omicron, I didn't get it because I had natural immunity. But anyway, um, the 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 safetyism, the insanity of some of the the well. back to what you were saying about the third rail. Where is the press? Aren't they supposed to ask questions? Are they not seeing this data? Are they assuming the data is just wrong or hysterical, and therefore they can't raise the issue? Back, you said, you said, uh, you know, half an hour ago, you said, where are the people in the arts who are supposed to show, you know, reflect back to us what we're doing and to sort of give us some insight into what we are? where were the comedians? That was the thing that got me. Where were the comedians? They were also frozen in place. And if you look back on that That's history, one. it's Dave Chappelle. Yeah, one. Dave Chappelle. No, no, it was, g- Jim Brewer. Wasn't Chappelle? It was Jim it, Brewer was first? Jim Brewer.
1: Jim Jim Brewer came out just okay. hardcore and was just like, this is, I mean, I, you know, maybe Chappelle did, but I know Jim Brewer for, for you know, for sure uh, came out very okay. forcefully. It just said, you know I think he's I think he had a comedy special that said that you know someone had to say it you know he spends the first part yeah. of his set just talking about all the all the nonsense and it's 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 really funny
0: well, I've got to go where, back yeah, and yeah, see it because like, i didn't where? I didn't see it i I've known Jim for many years and, and he's a great comedian. I will go I will literally seek that out to to watch it because I didn't know that. The one the first one that caught my attention was Chappelle. And I was I felt like when when stuff like that started happening, I felt like I could I could breathe, like I could fill my lungs with air. Like otherwise I felt like somebody was had their boot on my back, like always scared, always afraid to to speak up. And so so the fact that we can have this conversation is a improvement right and we are not saying that this wasn't a horrible pandemic we're not saying that people didn't die disproportionately affect elderly people the people on the restream are saying but young people died too yes young people did die too and it was extra horrible very few very few it was a rare event it was less well under one percent and if you get over 65 over 75 well then you're getting in that to that 10 to 15 percent range sometimes depending on the cases and so it it, yeah, it's a different thing in different age groups. And now we have excess deaths that is approaching pandemic levels for reasons that don't seem well explained. Now it's possible our numerator is wrong. Possibly we, we got the, uh, the denominator is wrong. We, we got uh, a model that tells us what our excess should be. Maybe that model is broken. Maybe we had to look at that model. Maybe the excess deaths aren't as bad as they seem. But boy, um, I just tweeted something from Dr. Malhotra that there was something like 40,000 Excess cardiac deaths in young people in the UK alone. I was like, let me make sure I I quote that right. I I, I may be misspeaking. Uh, Give me one second. It is uh, heartbreak. 30,000 excess cardiac deaths in England, according to the British Heart Foundation. 30,000 in young people. Mm. So, you know what that that sounds like to
1: me? What? uh, That sounds like uh, amnesty. (laughs) <laughs> let's forget about it. Let's put it aside. <laughs> let's, like, sounds like there should
0: be amnesty right now. And and by the yeah, way, if like, it, like you know, I, I would trade you, I would trade you amnesty for for truth. You know what I'm saying? If we could step forward and go, yeah, we figured out. Here's what's going on. Let's move forward. Uh, let's. I, I'm not sure I could do that. I'm not sure I could do that. It'd be, it'd be hard because of the burning at the stake stuff that we that we mentioned earlier. So yeah, it's so weird that we're doing this all again. It's a tragedy.
1: So it, 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 it's it's a it's a tragedy of such epic proportions. Like it's it's even it's yeah. hard to comprehend it. And uh, you know, some yeah. people I've, I've not used this word as much as I have in the past two years. I mean, the, the, to me, there, there's an evil about it. There's such a, a callousness, um, uh, a a complete denial of what's going on, uh, a complete denial of all the harms that are taking place. And again. You said where are the journalists, where are the artists talking about this? No, they're right in line with all of this. They're not, you know, they're not serving as a mirror right now onto on, on what's happening because they've been complicit in it, honestly. Um, you know, a lot of them, they've been, they've been working, they're fine, so whatever. It's just, it's, it, it, I think part of the, part of what's difficult to accept about it is just, when you, when you think about the, the scope of damage that has been done, um, it, it's, it's breathtaking, it's breathtaking. But as the clients said we did the so research
0: whatever it it does feel evil you're right and I, I I have a mixed uh, evil to me sort of holds me out of trying to explain what the human experience was because I want to understand what made us do all this and you know what the why the soil was so fertile for something like this and why so many horrible judgments were made and why the press was so duplicitous in all of it, complicit, and why the artists were complicit, and why people felt it was the right thing to destroy people who were raising it. It's just also weird to me. But uh, again, I'm trying to understand it. I'm getting a better understanding than I had. Last time we spoke, it was really mysterious to me. I'm kind of, at least I'm putting the pieces together of what happened. I'm starting to see what happened. Uh, and back to your point about the Chinese Communist Party, I see that that was where it started. I I, I kind of thought that might be it, and now there's evidence that that was it. And then once they decided uh, how they were going to do it, um, they, they, they used fear consciously, which is, to me, the evil part. That's kind of evil to scare people right. into submission, even though you think it's for their own best interest. I, I feel like that's kind of an evil move. And then to... Do the burning at the stake, which we've all agreed, whether you were looking at the the uh, American against uh, the Committee Against Un-American Activity and uh, McCarthy, or the actual witch trials, and what Arthur Arthur Miller pointed out to us, we have all agreed: burning people at the stake uh, unfairly, without due due process, accusing people of things just because of their beliefs, is absolutely horrific, and yet the same people that would have said that five years ago participated in the witch burning. And I, I would just wish people could, if, if those people can search their souls and figure out what happened, we could end up in a better place. I, I don't think those people are evil. I think they were swept into something um, that, well, there's a, that, there's a, that I blame. There's a, I, the evil was the press, the press and the fear, the press and the fear. I saw it when it was happening. I felt that way at the time. I over—I was hubristic in my response to it because it's—I could see it. It just—it just—it bothered me, and now it's—it's it's the evil part. That's the evil part. People exerting their will that didn't even have, shouldn't even have had an opinion. They have no business in de- determining medical care, and then using fear to to terrorize people into submission. That—that's kind of the evil part. Don't you agree?
1: I do, you know, and uh, you know, it's one thing for people who were seduced, so seduced, shall we say, by the propaganda and the fear. I have compassion Mm -hmm. for them. I was one of those people. I mean, I remember those videos coming out. Um, I actually had a dark joke about this, where you know, the videos of the people, you know, Chinese citizens, sort of dropping, uh, collapsing, have now been, which I think, I think Michael Singer makes a, a strong case that they were that they were fake, honestly. Um, but, uh, yeah. these fake videos of, 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 citizens collapsing have been replaced now by real videos of athletes collapsing. Um, it, it's, it, 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 so, but I have compassion for people who've been afraid because I was one of those people. I don't know if you remember, but, but from January to March, 2020, I was one of those people. So I understand. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, that's from. right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the people, it's, it's the public health officials, the government, the press, the people who, who are in control of the levers of power and of, and of the that uh that i think are are i will say evil again you know it's not a yeah, word i, I, I well really i think use. that
0: i think it we have to figure out a way to curtail it a bit it, it's it's excessive it it needs we need to really uh look at it uh oh somebody's uh okay yeah somebody's quote texting me about john campbell who's been worried about what's going on in uh uk right. as well of course i'm very aware of that and have been been uh, watching him carefully and he was a guy that was also very afraid of covid and very yes. concerned about and very pro-vaccine and and now has sort of morphed and is you know as, as he keeps saying on his podcast every day which is as the data comes in i change my opinion that's that's how what we do we try to get the best possible opinion given with the currently available wisdom and it looks like right now we're we're getting it kind of wrong and we should be figuring that out and responding to it with the same with the same urgency that we respond to the, the outbreak itself but we seem to be completely ignoring it. But again, here we are. Um, so, Clifton, it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you, and I always feel like I, I come away richer with, from our conversations um, because I, I just I like how your uh, your experience is important. I like how you think about this. I feel like your heart's in the right place. You're you're trying to, you know, you're trying to do something that makes things better, aren't you? I mean, isn't that your goal? Let's come out of this better than we've been.
1: Yeah, well, you know, well, I, first of all, I appreciate all that. Um, yeah, I, I really do. It's, uh, you know, it's been it's been really difficult. I mean, just earlier today, I, you know, I, I someone asked me the other day, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, are you going to do Secret Garden in LA? There's John himself right there. Um, you know, I, I did a show. They were they were going to do um, they were going to do a Broadway revival of Secret Garden, and I was going to play the role that Mandy Patinkin originated on Broadway, and now I can't work at all. So I see things like that, and, and it makes me upset. But at the same time, a it's funny because I'm, I've, I've become more "quote unquote" famous by not being on Broadway than being on it. Uh, but at the same time, um, I feel like my circle of my network of people now it's so much more actually diverse um, in terms of professions, ideology. Um, the IQ is way, way, way higher, um, and I'm also now I found sort of another uh, another mission uh, in, 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 in a way. Like I feel like just the podcasts alone. Um, are are generating the great sort of conversations about, about art and artists and our role in society right now, especially at the time, like right now, um, then with my, even my nonsense on Twitter, you know, people message me all the time. Like, I feel like I'm not alone. I feel like I'm not the only person yeah. seeing all this stuff that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, and, I, and I'm, I feel,
0: I feel like, I, I feel like what you have to say will be have greater, um, impact as time goes on i feel like you know this is this is i i feel your artistic creativity contributing to these thoughts and then of course you have these you have clarity of thinking and you have a great way of expressing yourself but i i feel like that artistic creative piece of you is a really important contribution to this whole conversation and i i just look forward to you continuing to to create the pods and reach out on social media and uh, i think you'll find greater and greater. support uh as this begins to catch wind because people seem to be kind of I, reality seems to be coming in reality seems to be seeping into people's psyche and and the more it does the the more value i think what you have to offer will will uh, be borne out so i appreciate you coming here as always uh, any last thoughts before we kind of wrap things up
1: um, no, not really. And I appreciate uh, everything you just said. And, um, you know, my, my sense now, what my instincts or my intuition is telling me is that people really are, mm. I mean, yeah, we want accountability. We're not ready for amnesty, but we are ready to move on to bigger, uh, uh, to bigger things and yeah. life has to go on. So hopefully I can be of service in that way. And, and, Giving people something that uh, that really nourishes their soul uh, going forward in the future. So look out for that. Uh, that kind well, of it's
0: stuff. it's it is also on, on Twitter. I I value your sense of humor and, and irony, and, and also where appropriate <laughs> to tell people to fuck off. So 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 it's all it always <laughs> lands. It lands for me. So uh, keep keep it going. I, I've, I it has not gone unnoticed particularly lately. And uh, and to keep you know if, if there's a next level I'll be watching so so thank you for that and uh, I'll be retweeting also everybody so you can expect that so uh, we're, do you want people just to go to the podcast or are there other places you like to send people there's at Clifton Duncan obviously Clifton A Duncan on Twitter obviously podcast is
1: Clifton Duncan podcast anywhere else yeah so I'm starting I'm growing my Rumble channel now so uh, go go to Rumble Clifton Duncan I'm verified on there we're we're growing that channel as well right now.
0: Yes, and we have our Rumble Ranters also. Let me see what they're saying about you. Uh, but hold on, come on, you guys, Jay Hep and all you guys, give uh, give Clifton a nice welcome there because you should you should all be over at his channel as well. All right, I'll send all my people over there to you, and uh, sure. hopefully we can actually meet in person one of these days when you're out here or when I'm in Atlanta. We'll we'll figure it out. Well, shoot! I go to
1: Pasadena first. Uh, Atlanta, I don't
0: know. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's do it. If you want to come to Pasadena, I don't know what you want with this place. It's become one thing that the, the uh, pandemic has done is make Pasadena, if it's if it's possible, more boring than it already was. <laughs> so, so you're welcome here. Bring bring a little, uh, bring a little of your humor to this environment. It'd be nice.
1: Well, you know, if I may say so, I actually got an, an email from the uh, from the artistic director of the. Uh, the uh, Pasadena Playhouse? Playhouse. I did a show, I did a show yes. there. I, I did Ragtime there back in 2019. So the last stage show I did. which was very successful. And uh, they're struggling for money right now. I wonder why that is. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll pop by and say hello. And, well, uh, well, you should.
0: I was aware of that production. I had no idea you were in it. I Some of my patients are you know active in, with the, the board there. And so they've actually been doing okay through a lot of this, but they do need, like all theater, more support. And people who don't know, the Pasadena Playhouse is this old theater that essentially nurtured the careers of a, a lot of the people you see on Broadway and a lot of the people you used to see on films in the 40s and 50s in particular and it has this old rich um heritage and it still puts on really high quality productions that that need an outlet before they go to the bigger bigger venues and uh, that ragtime was a huge hit. So thank you for that. I'm, I'm, huge my uh, huge patients hit. were were raving about it. They're raving about it. So uh, hopefully that was really. I'm going to find out if that was you that they were that they understood was uh, front and Probably. center. In that I'm going to hear more. Yeah. So come to the Playhouse. Come on. We can have. Uh, we can. There's a place to eat right across the street. We can uh, go have coffee or something there. All Sounds right, my great friend. To great to talk to you. See you soon. Uh and for the rest of y'all, uh, let me quickly just see what you're doing up on the rumbles. Yes, they are applauding you, Clifton. Uh Clifton F and rules is what they're saying there. So you'll have He's more. He's amazing. People we definitely need from, to get him
1: back. He's always great.
0: Yeah. Uh Old Town Baby, people are saying from <laughs> Twitch. That's yes. Old Town has kind of been boring lately, though. Uh, let's see what you guys are saying on the restream before I head out of here. Uh yeah you guys are always so interesting. I love your comments. Are there anything you saw there, Caleb, that there's a lot of John Campbell talk on the restream. I've been putting a lot of them um, up on
1: on screen as they've been posting. them. Yeah,
0: I saw that. I saw that. It's gonna be interesting by the next time I talk to Clifton, you know where is this you know, are, will we have more information about uh, why these excess deaths, or actually are there excess deaths, and what what is the role? I know today the the uh, Pfizer briefed the White House on some of their post post uh, marketing. Uh, data. I find it odd that it's only going to the White House and not the public or the press. I don't. I'm, maybe it's out by now, but I've not seen anything. Uh, so we'll see if there is actually anything to be learned from from the Pfizer data. But it's all Do it's all concerning. There's a lot of. Septi- admit it? Do you think they'll ever actually like acknowledge that it's happening? I, I mean, the data is the data. If they're adulterating the data, they will get much bigger trouble. <laughs> Believe me, much bigger trouble by them by saying, hey, there's a signal here, let's pay attention. Uh, let, let, me look, let me look at Twitter real quick and see if anybody is saying anything about the... Uh, uh, let's see, hold on one second. I don't see anybody talking about any data. Uh, usually Alex Berenson is out there right away. Mm-mm-mm. People calling me a Scientologist, of course, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> It's all very odd. It's very weird what people think on Twitter. Uh, okay. Yeah. Let me look at Alex Berenson really quick, see if he said anything. No, I don't see no anything where that Pfizer does. So apparently Pfizer was giving data. Oh, no. No. So keep your eyes off, people, for the Pfizer data. They They, they went to the White House today, but it has not been shown to the public yet. Uh, I'm guessing that's because there's a problem. I'm just guessing. Um, And we have to figure this out. It's not gonna be all good, all bad. It's not, 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 look, all medical interventions have problems. They do, they're all dangerous. Every time you walk into a doctor's office, it's dangerous. Every time you put a pill in your mouth, it's dangerous. You've got to understand that. It's when the risk is worth it. When we understand what the risk is, we've defined it very clearly so we understand what the potential risk is relative to the anticipated benefit. So we as physicians can make that call for your specific clinical circumstance. Are you being preserved from bad illness? Do you have multiple risk factors? Are you elderly where this thing is likely to have a serious consequence for you? We as physicians make those decisions all day long. It's not the, not the same for every single individual. And by the way, the individual's risk tolerance and what the individual's motivation is should figure into it. it's made, the decisions made with the patient, with the doctor together. They make the decision for that given individual. We got to have all the data to do that. We have to understand what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, we're not there yet. We will get there. Callers on Monday. Hopefully, I'll have more information to give you on Monday. I'll be out on Twitter Spaces. We will take your calls off Twitter Spaces then. That's all we'll do for an hour and a half. And then Edward Dowd on Tuesday with Dr. Kelly Victi. And Dr. Dowd, Mr. Dowd is going to give us his uh, data update. He's been uh, cur- pur- querying uh, healthcare systems, uh, literally uh, uh, insurance companies and, uh, under, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, funeral homes and things like that he's going to take all of that and try to put it together and tell us what's happening again colors on monday i'll see you then at three o'clock ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only